Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to SACPA and uh, also a welcome to... Okay, guys, get... Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Thank you. Thank you. That's better. Okay, hi. Um, I'm the moderator today, Ian McKenna, and I uh, would like to welcome Diane Urquhart. And I know it's a tough name, Urquhart, um, you know, difficult one even for Scottish folks, but that is the name Urquhart, not Urquhart or anything like that. <laughs> so we can't have that. Now, um, we have uh, a few questions at the start here to, to uh, whet your appetite. The International Bank squeeze on Canadian non-bank ABCP owners, question mark. Did international banks attempt to extort $60 billion from the Quebec Caisse Pension Fund and the Alberta, Ontario and federal governments? Public money ultimately provided $5 billion of emergency funding in December 2008 in order to bring the ABCP restructuring plan to a close Canadian bankruptcy laws were changed after the non-bank ABCP market froze, giving international banks undue bargaining power in the ABCP restructuring process. This is going to be dealt with by Diane, but just to give you whet your appetite. Uh, the speaker will explain that Canadian banks were spared liability for their wholly owned investment dealers' distribution of the toxic ABCP. Court-sanctioned legal release removed the ABCP owner's right to sue for damages caused by the bank's alleged negligence and fraud in the design and distribution of the ABCP. Canadian bank regulations permitted use of a market disruption clause in the liquidity agreements that allowed the international banks to walk away from their obligations to repurchase the ABCP from Canadian investors. It will further be argued and suggested that Canadian securities regulators permitted the toxic ABCP into the public markets and how such regulators continue to provide minimal inspections of investment products. Unless banks, we're going to hear, investment dealers and credit rating agencies are held responsible for the delivery of toxic investment products on inflated credit ratings, they will continue to deliver such, project, uh, sorry, such uh, products to the marketplace. Okay, so got through that. Now, Diane Urquhart, who is she? Well, she's a top-ranked independent financial services analyst with over 30 years' experience. Um, doesn't look that old, but there you are. And uh, she was uh, head of equity research as a predecessor of uh, the Bank of Montreal, uh, Nesbitt Burns, and Scotia Capital Markets. She will speak from her experience as the financial advisor appointed by Justice Colin Campbell of the Ontario Superior Court of Justice to advise the retail ABCP owners, Ms. Urquhart and legal counsel Henry Jurovieski, if I got that right, 
succeeded in obtaining for the individuals owning less than $1 million of the toxic money a full cash settlement from their investment dealers. So you can see she's uh, pretty tricky there with regard to uh, dealing with those uh, alleged fraudsters. So um, let's have a warm welcome for uh, Diana Urquhart. Before I start my talk, I wanted to let anyone know that I'll be taking a collection because the international banks didn't get the $60 billion from our governments. Uh, so uh, we're going to be passing the hat, and I'll make sure I pass that along to the 12 international banks who are involved in non-bank asset-backed commercial paper. Uh, <laughs> the purpose of my talk uh, here and uh, throughout the country is that I want citizens to speak up. I, sp I want them to know what was in the asset-backed commercial paper so that we can play our role in a democracy to convince our politicians that we need to have financial regulation and procedures in place within our bankruptcy laws to ensure that this does not happen again. If we do not speak up, the financial industry does have control of governments throughout the world, and it's only through citizens' advocacy that we're going to uh, be able to stop this and to put laws and to put enforcement in place to uh, have our governments work for we, the Canadians, and to work to protect our savings. We had a problem in our financial plumbing. Our pipes got clogged. We needed government intervention to get the markets moving again. But our governments called the same plumbers who created the mess in the first place. Never mind that the plumbers installed faulty pipes and they overcharged us for it. Never mind that the taxpayers paid an exorbitant amount of money to get the pipes fixed by the people who had designed and, and uh, put them in place in the first place. We quietly pay the bills for all the damages to our house, and we pray that the plumbers do a better job next time. Lethbridge got caught in what I would say was a man-made flood by the plumbers who put the, the faulty pipes in place and who knew they had done so. This city has, was sold $30 million of non-bank asset-backed commercial paper. This was a savings product. Today, the market value, including the recent settlement announced uh, between National Bank Financial and the City of Lathbridge, the market value of this paper today is approximately $18 million. That would suggest that if this were to be sold in the marketplace today, for which there is a very limited market, there would be a $12 million loss. As an analyst, I, I am of the view that while the principal may be available on maturity in 2017, that there's considerable long-term and permanent impairment in the value of the paper as a result of there being no interest paid. And so the value of an investment today has to take into account not only getting your principal back in the future, but also getting an annual interest income from the investment as well. The Alberta government had an exposure of $1,351,000,000 that I know of uh, in four different agencies. $1.2 billion at the ATB financial, 
EPCOR at 71 million and the University of Alberta at 50 million. And uh, Mr. Alford uh, from uh, Lethbridge has done some research and determined that the University of Calgary has 18 million uh, exposure as well. And we read in the paper this morning about tuitions going up as high as 47% at the University of Calgary for professional students who seek to uh, participate in professional programs. And and so this is the impact of us not speaking up about the products that are sold to us by our investment banks and that have contracts by the international banks of the world. The loss to Alberta at the moment, and perhaps in the long term, is going to be over a half a billion dollars. This is dollars lost to the taxpayers and need to be uh, made up either in the form of social security cuts, tuition increases, or higher taxes. I believe that fixing the financial crisis is much more than simply unclogging this drain uh, of the ABCP crisis. There have been broad failures throughout the economic system and society that has led to this that the financial crisis of non-bank asset-backed commercial paper was the canary in the coal mine for the financial crisis throughout the world. The financial industry gets laws written in its favor on the rhetoric of free enterprise. Without constraint of regulation and enforcement, the financial industry is free to engage in the nefarious practices that they have been involved in in the last 10 years for their own profit and often directly contrary to the interests of the customers that they're supposed to be serving. Governments throughout uh, Canada and uh, in the United States as well have been willing to pay for and cover up the financial industry's misdeeds. Large investing institutions have not been uh, challenging the investment bank sellers of the toxic products. They do so because they can make short-term bonuses in owning these products, and in many cases, in, uh, they uh, do not speak up against the investment banking industry so that they can keep their jobs uh, working for uh, financial institutions and governments. And so that leaves it up to you and this audience and every Canadian to do the speaking up. You are bearing the costs through the taxes that you pay, through the tuitions you must pay for your children or grandchildren, and for the uh, cuts in social security programs that are inevitable when people lose their life savings. I think that there is a revolution in the economics profession uh, as a result of uh, the failure of the theories of absolute free enterprise and the uh, lack of need for regulation of new financial products. I'm more in the camp of Joseph Stiglitz, who is a Nobel Prize economist. There is moral bankruptcy in our economic systems and in our financial industry. Why are we letting Wall Street and Bay Street off so easy. The investment bankers knowingly trashed our economy and tore up the social contract with the citizens of their countries. Market fundamentalism has eroded any sense of community and has led to rampant exploitation of the unwary and unprotected individuals. And it, it is for this reason that citizens must speak up. You can't get angry about what has gone on unless you're told something about it. 
and that's why I'm here today to speak more about the asset-backed commercial paper problem. We don't have time to go into the significant details, and anyone who would like to see a copy of my slides could perhaps speak to me afterwards. This is a pie chart of all of the assets uh, that were in the non-bank asset-backed commercial paper trust. This was a savings product sold to pension funds, to governments, to individuals as a deposit product that was safe and R1 high. It was given the highest ratings by Dominion Bond Rating Service. It produced an interest rate which was not significantly above treasury bills or guaranteed income certificates. And I can tell you that in my work with the 1,800 individuals who were stuck with this product for 18 months with no idea that they would uh, get a return of their life savings, that they had no idea that they had been sold a high-risk investment product. There were two uh, areas that caused this uh, product to be high risk and unknown to the buyers. One was there was 10% of the $32 billion that was invested directly in U.S. subprime mortgages. Um, so many of you have heard that there uh, is allegations and already steps taken of massive fraud in the U.S. subprime mortgage industry by the originators who sold mortgages to people who could not afford to uh, live in the homes and to pay the mortgage interest uh, that uh, had been granted to them, and then the investor investors taking those high-risk uh, U.S. subprime mortgages and structuring them into a securitized product like asset-backed commercial paper and other various acronyms that were sold to the investing public. I think Canadians were led to believe that uh, the asset-backed commercial paper would have full recovery of its value and that it was just a temporary liquidity crisis because it was said throughout, and even as recently as a month ago by Purdy Crawford, who is the legal counsel from Osler's who represented the large institutional owners, that fortunately there was only $3 billion, or approximately 10% of the assets in U.S. subprime. It's expected that the U.S. subprime assets will be worthless. However, uh, he never throughout the period uh, did any of the legal counsel working for the large institutions admit uh, that there was $22 billion, or 63% of all of the assets uh, in the trust, in credit default swaps. Credit default swaps is a new financial invention in 1997. It's a credit derivative. We don't have time to fully explain it, but I uh, uh, want to make sure that you know that there was $22 billion out of the $32 billion in this toxic, innovative credit default swap market placed into the market without regulation, without capital requirements, without any kind of testing. So can you imagine putting a, a, pres a pre prescription drug for the cure of uh, you know, multiple sclerosis uh, and to have never had that drug tested over a long period of time and uh, peer-reviewed by scientists uh, before it got approval to get into the marketplace? And yet we have 
had a financial product that grew to $65 trillion, more than the size of all global equity markets, more, uh, multiple fold uh, more than the actual underlying bonds and loans that were being insured, had become part of the saving stream of the world and also here in Canada. I said earlier that the ABCP was sold as a savings product by the Canadian uh, securities dealers. They were clearly sold as substitutes to uh, guaranteed income certificates and government treasury bills. The interest rate that was paid on this product was very close, like 0.2% more than where T-bills were. So if T-bills were, uh, or perhaps you're more familiar with guaranteed income certificates, many of you would perhaps, through your local bank or credit union, own guaranteed income certificates, perhaps of a five-year term. If the interest rate on the guaranteed income certificates was uh, 4%, then this paper was presented to you as as a directly comparable substitute, perhaps for you know 4.10 percent, it would only be like 10 basis points more. And the consumers we spoke to had no idea that it was different, and they certainly did not buy on the basis of it uh, offering a better yield. They, they were told it was safe and top credit rated. Just one credit rating agency in Canada, Dominion Bond Rating Services, gave it a top credit rating. On the other hand, two other major international rating agencies called Standard & Poor's and Moody's wrote research reports in which they determined that the, the product was unsafe and was not deserving of a top credit rating. And Standard & Poor went on, on to so much to say in 2002 that this product uh, in Canada would be the source of financial contagion. Now, now I want to kind of uh, let you know what exactly happened here. Canadian savings went into trusts, and those savings bought assets, and those were pretty high-quality uh, government treasury bills, high-quality uh, commercial paper of major corporations. But at the time that they bought those assets, they turned around and bought insurance contracts with the international banks of the world. And so Canadian savings, which were supposed to be uh, put in assets that secured their own savings, got pledged to the international banks. The international banks took first security. They pretty much owned your money almost at the beginning. Uh, of the process. And so Canadian savings, which you know people were not speculating, it was what they were using for their retirement, it was what they were saving for their retirement homes, it was young people for their down payments. These people had unknowingly insured, and the city of Lethbridge, of course, as well as an institution, unknowingly had your tax dollars uh, insuring the bad loans of the international banks, for which there was no documentation available to that effect that anyone could have looked at to determine that. And only when the market froze and uh, the uh, product went into the bankruptcy court, was it obliged that the contracts could be posted and available for all the owners and their experts to see. And only then did it become known to the owners that they had become insurers of the bad loans of the international banks. 
Um, I don't have time to go through this in detail, but this is just a chart that I wanted to illustrate to you that who, you know, who were the players in this product. They were the international banks who insured $232 billion of loans with Canadian savings. And so if there was going to be a, a, a credit damage or a loan that went ba bad, they could come back to these Canadian trusts uh, and, uh, if, uh, and get it repaid so that they would not have a loss. The uh, Canadian trusts were produced by a group of Canadian financial promoters. They were entrepreneurs, some of which used to work for the major banks. Uh, and these financial promoters were, in fact, owned by uh, many of the international banks. Uh, the Canadian investment dealers, we say they were like uh, the uh, uh, drivers of the getaway car. The, uh, your loss is the international bank's profit. Uh, and you unknowingly offered that profit to them with your savings, but it was uh, the bank, the international banks. You would not have done business with those banks. You would not have known that they did business in your country, but you knew uh, the Canadian investment dealers, and you trusted that they would not put you in products that were unsafe. And I just want to make a brief comment that uh, the retail owners of ABCP have asked for a criminal investigation, and at this point, we still do not have an official investigation being done by any police force or by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Integrated Market Enforcement Team. Uh, Henry Jarawieski and myself, uh, upon uh, you know extensive evaluation of the contracts and discussion with major fixed-income uh, institutional money managers of the world, have very much reached conclusion that this is civil fraud and is criminal fraud as well. And uh, I don't have time to go into the mechanics of that, but basically at, at, at the cusp of our allegation of fraud is that these international banks took Canadian savings to ensure their bad loans, and then they turn around and in a circular flow of money uh, said that they would give you your money back if uh, the dealers could not find others to buy your uh, investment product. They offered something called a liquidity agreement or a bank guarantee. That bank, and so there was a flow of money, insurance money paid when you had a damage, and then the party that receives the insurance money agrees to pay you back the source of money needed to pay them for the insurance. And I think most of you would know when two parties do a deal and money's going back and forth, the odds are pretty high that that's not uh, a bona fide economic set of transactions. And so it's our view that that shows the intent to defraud the savers of Canada. And most importantly, the, the uh, bank guarantee was uh, bogus. It was not bona fide. The international banks knew uh, that when they offered the bank guarantee, the circumstances that they would ever have to pay out that amount of money was virtually nil. And so we say that that entailed fraud. They uh, uh, the reason the R1 high rating was uh, prescribed or could be prescribed was because of the bank guarantee. The reason why uh, you know the institutions such as Lethbridge would have bought it is because it was told that there was a, a bank guarantee. And then subsequently, the fine print of the bank uh, guarantee indicated that the loophole was so, so broad that there was never any intent on the part of these international banks to pay back Canadian savings. 
So I, um, I don't think I need to spend much time on this next point. I have described it. Credit default swaps was the name of the vehicle that was used by the international bank, sold to these Canadian promoters using your money. This was invented in 1997. It was a new phenomena. It was an insurance product. And while insurance has been regulated probably uh, for over 500 years in all the major countries of the world, and even though this became a product bigger than all stock markets and bond markets of the world, there was no capital requirements. There was no transparency requirements. There was no regulation of any sort to ensure that these traded on an exchange and that all people who had put their savings in this would know that they had done so. Basically, uh, I want to make the point that the largest single perpetrator of this fraud was Deutsche Bank, secure, uh, Deutsche Bank of Frankfurt, Germany. Deutsche Bank represented 59% of the uh, credit default swap uh, assets that were being insured. They were, at the same time, the provider of the bogus liquidity agreement. And I can say in the Lethbridge case, based on my knowledge of what uh, ABCP trusts were owned, every one of them had a liquidity agreement and a credit default swap within it that was uh, based on uh, Deutsche Bank um, from Germany. Uh, operating out of their office in New York. <clears throat> and so while the settlement deal that Lethbridge has done with National Bank is uh, a settlement deal that had to be done, there was no choice based on how the restructuring legal release occurred. Uh, the actual uh, perpetrator of the damages and the, uh, with respect to the product uh, that was uh, available in the Canadian marketplace to Lethbridge, I would hold Deutsche Bank largely responsible. And other players, the other international and banks involved in other products were Merrill Lynch, HSBC, UBS, Citibank, Swiss Re, Royal Bank of Scotland, Wachovia. Most of these names do not have retail operations in the Canadian market. And so that's why they needed the Canadian dealers to introduce them uh, in their ability to produce a profit for themselves. Uh, so they worked in partnership with the Canadian dealers. Um, I'm just going to go back a bit because I was introduced as saying that this was a squeeze play by the international banks. Uh, the, inter the, the way the contracts work is uh, not only did you pay for the actual damages when there were loan losses in the $232 billion of reference credit portfolios, you also had to pay when the actual contract uh, went down in value in the marketplace, regardless of what the credit uh, default losses were. And and so they had the right to call margin. Uh, in other words, uh, you put up uh, $32 billion to pay the damages, but if the losses on the contract were such that uh, Deutsche Bank felt that that amount of money was not enough, uh, they could call the trusts and say, okay, we need another $5 billion to be put in from your investors in order to assure us that you have all of the capital required to pay for anticipated damages between now and 2017. And so this gave them an immense amount of power in, uh, in the actual uh, instrument 
And uh, so this, uh, this calling of the margin or the requirement to call the margin is what caused the crisis because obviously these promoters had no extra money around and they certainly knew they couldn't come back to the city of Lethbridge or to come back to you know, th- uh, hundreds of thousands of retail investors to ask them to put up more money. And if you don't put up money, you're going to lose everything you have in this. So there was a very, very strong squeeze play in that regard. And while you thought Deutsche Bank was going to give you the liquidity, uh, in other words, honor the bank guarantee at the same time, they just walked. And so they had everybody over the barrel, so to speak. Uh, you know, you thought they were supposed to pay you. They said, well, na 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 we don't have to pay you. Sorry you didn't look at the contract. And then they turned around and asked for a full collection of your collateral unless you put more money up. If you refused to put the more money up, then they were going to walk out of the courtroom and uh, take all the money that was there. So it was a clear uh, squeeze play by anyone's definition of it. In the end, uh, I can say the, the, it is definitely true, uh, speaking to Andrew Cressy, who was the financial analyst for the Pan-Canadian Committee from J.P. Morgan, I asked him if it was true that there had been a written demand for $60 billion, and he said it was true. Uh, in the end, the Canadian, uh, and this was on December seventeenth, uh, uh, approximately December seventeenth of two thousand and eight, uh, the lawyer Steichman Elliott LLP for the international banks, led by Deutsche Bank Securities, demanded. By then, they had uh, constrained themselves, entered the Canadian courtroom, and demanded ten billion dollars within twenty-four hours, or they were going to walk and take the twenty-two billion of collateral that was behind uh, their uh, credit default swap contracts. And it was at that point, uh, and the judge, uh, I'll be mentioning this in a minute, didn't have the authority to force the banks to remain in the courtroom because there was a law change uh, done after the freeze-up for the benefit of the international banks. And that was done by the former industry minister, Jim Prentice, who is uh, now... I don't know what he's minister of, but continues to be a minister from the province of Alberta at the federal government. And uh, uh, he was the one that gave pretty much them the power. I don't know whether he knew he was doing it at the time. Certainly the international banks knew what they were asking the federal government to achieve, and they were able to, as a consequence, get $4.5 billion out of our governments in the end. Uh, Just... I have to wrap up here. Um, I want to speak a, a couple of minutes about uh, what what were our governments doing? Why weren't they assuring the safety of our savings? Were they doing anything? And I think what I concluded when I went through the very detailed uh, history of how this product came about, I concluded that the federal government was either knowingly or unknowingly aiding and abetting the delivery of a highly toxic savings product into the Canadian marketplace. It starts with our Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions in Ottawa, who is Canada's uh, bank regulator. They put in place a regulation that allowed the bogus bank guarantee to get into the Canadian marketplace, and we were unique in the world to have this kind of what they called a Canadian-style liquidity agreement. They uh, allowed the banks to deliver an agreement that they knew would never be honoured. And, and yet it was that agreement that encouraged people to put their savings into this uh, product. So I fault the OSFI for uh, taking care of the banks and not taking an active interest in the Canadian savers. 
Then I mentioned earlier Jim Prentice. On November 17th, Jim Prentice made the amendment in the bankruptcy laws that caused our courts to have no authority to stay these credit default swaps and, in fact, gave them super priority for payment out of the bankruptcy estate. This was clearly for the benefit of the banks. I think, I think some, I, I have heard that there are people going to ask me questions on the Ontario government role, so I'm going to not speak about the Ontario government. But I think I, I will make a capsule comment for those of you in Alberta who want to know what was, who, who allowed the product, uh, which securities regulator really put the ingredients in place for this to be a product, I, I think I can safely say that you can indeed blame Ontario and legitimately do so here in Alberta, that this uh, was a product that was facilitated by the Ontario government. Just wanted to make uh, a point. Uh, some of you may be acting on the belief that we're a highly well-regulated country, and recently PricewaterhouseCoopers put us as the fourth most fraudulent nation in the world with respect to corporate fraud. Um, so I think that we all need to wake up as citizens to uh, work on what we need to do to get our regulators working for us, not for the international banks, not for the investment banks, and that only when we put in place improved securities regulation enforcement as well as securities crime policing uh, are we going to begin to turn the corner here to stop toxic products from getting into our marketplace and to, to stop uh, our families, our cities, and our governments from taking such massive losses on products that have been designed by the Canadian and U.S. Uh, financial industry in order to make profits for their banks and to uh, pay the tens of millions of dollars of executive bonuses to their top uh, personnel. And I'll end on that note and leave it to uh, questions and answers for more discussion.